We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all of these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. From boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com to start winning. Away we go, episode 166 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, October 14th, 2021, the day after yet another major reveal in the Washington football team's sexual harassment scandal. When will this stop? Will this ever stop? Can we please just have football to talk about with our football team? Oh, you know the answer to that question. Of course not. It is this way because for some reason it has to be this way. Uh, My thoughts on the hush money that the Washington football team offered to the former team employees who claimed that they were sexually harassed while working for the team. Coming up next segment, big report from the Washington Post 
late on Wednesday. But hello and welcome to another installment of the pod. It's good to have you with us. However, you are with us. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. So many ways to take in what we do. Uh, I will be talking plenty of football with the Washington football team on the show. Both Ron Rivera and Taylor Heineke spoke on Wednesday via post-practice press conference. Lots to get into regarding this Sunday afternoon's game against the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. Ron addressed Washington's attendance problem, uh, talked about his mentor, Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, and discussed Washington's defense, which you might say has uh, somewhat of a test on Sunday and facing Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. Heineke had some good stuff to say about his bad performance in the 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field last Sunday and about facing Mahomes this Sunday. Also, what an opening night for the Capitals. A postgame, their great 5-1 demolition of the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. Alex Ovechkin, game-time decision. Uh, Yeah, two goals, two assists. Not bad. You know, regarding this potentially being the fall-off year for the Caps, they sure didn't look like a team that's on the verge of falling off. As Ovi famously said prior to the Stanley Cup Championship 2017-2018 season, we're not going to be suck this year. We're not going to be suck this year. Yes, Hovi, the greatest thing that Alex Ovechkin ever said. We not going to be suck this year. Uh, I have a Goldilocks pick for you later in the show as Navy will be at Memphis on Thursday night. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Yano on Samus Reyes. Uh, writes Yano, I didn't hear you mention your boy Samus during the pod. Did he get in the game at all? on Sunday. Uh, Yes, he did get into the loss to the Saints, although not much. Uh, Samus Reyes was active for the first time in five games this season, but did not play on any of Washington's offensive snaps, played on just four special team snaps. With Logan Thomas on the reserve injured list, Ricky Seals-Jones is the guy. He played on 99% of Washington's offensive snaps at five receptions for 41 yards on eight targets. Uh, John Bates played on 20% of Washington's offensive snaps, was not targeted. And the new guy, Jace Sternberger, was inactive. Uh, Washington signed him to the active roster of the Seattle Seahawks practice squad on October 6th. Email from Brent Anderson in Northeast DC. Writes, Brent, I've been a longtime listener of yours. I especially appreciate the attention on the Nationals. I hope you are as sick as I am to see Trey, Juan, and Bryce lead the NL in batting average while Max gets another Cy Young while we lose 97 games. My question, is anyone else tired of seeing Landon Collins in slow motion? I don't even mean that he is incredibly slow and that his feet are moving slower than other players' feet. He does appear slow. I'm saying every time the other team makes a big play, you get a slow motion replay, and there is Landon Collins. The S-angle taken on the Camara TD, the bomb in the first quarter, the Hail Mary at the end of the half. It is to the point where every single time the other team makes a huge play, we all say, where is 26? Slow motion replay. Oh, there he is. Keep up the good work for us early birds. Uh, Thank you for that email, Brent. I enjoyed reading uh, that email. And yes, I am always here for you as an early bird. This podcast, new episode each weekday out by 5 a.m. So look, Landon Collins is a bad football player right now. I mean, I don't like saying that, but that is the truth, okay? 
He's a bad football player right now, just like he was a bad football player last season prior to the ruptured Achilles. If you caught my conversation with Samuel Gold on Wednesday's show, episode 165, he gave us a terrific film breakdown of Washington's defense, talked at length about Landon. I've said this and I'll say it again. I think that Landon Collins is as good as gone after this season. I think that Washington is going to cut him after this season, unless he somehow plays appreciably better the rest of this season. It's a shame because I was in favor of Washington signing Landon as a free agent in the 2019 offseason. The signing made a lot of sense on a lot of levels, but the signing has not worked out. Uh, Landon Collins has an overall grade for pro football focus this season of just 48.7. That is hideous. The grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. And not that the PFF grades are gospel, but the PFF grade for Landon certainly matches the eye test with Landon. He has not played well. And this is a second consecutive season in which he has not played well. And his first season with Washington 2019 was, you know, okay. I mean, he wasn't bad that season, but he also wasn't great. I mean, I can't remember a single big play that Landon Collins made in that 2019 season. Email from Mike on perhaps the worst play for the Washington football team's defense in the loss to the Saints. The Jameis Winston first and 10, 49-yard shotgun touchdown bomb to receiver Marquez Callaway on that Hail Mary heave into the end zone on the final offensive play in the first half. That really is one of the more disturbing plays in recent Washington history in terms of bad plays for a Washington defense. Writes Mike, over the many years I have followed the Redskins, I have seen many awful defensive plays, but nothing compares to Sunday's Hail Mary defense. Did you see the comments by Jackson and Collins? They didn't expect a Hail Mary. What was the crowd of WFT players doing in the end zone? No one jumped for the ball? Listen, if Jackson, Collins, and Al have to be coached on defending a Hail Mary, then these guys are just too dumb to play. I'm not even going to get into Collins botching the coverage on the long touchdown play. He should not be playing. Wonder why the Giants let this all-pro player go. Rivera says it's a lack of confidence. I disagree. We have a bunch of overconfident dummies. Well, I don't know if they're dummies, but they don't play smart football often. Uh, We have seen that clearly this season. And I think that that's part of the disappointment. I mean, if you listen to Landon Collins and Kendall Fuller and William Jackson III and Bobby McCain, they don't come off like dummies. I mean, they come off like smart football players, but there's no doubt this secondary so far this season has not played like a smart secondary. Well, I'm not sure what's worse, being a bad football player or not being a very smart football player. I do know this. It is smart to have Weedman care for your lawn. Uh, If you don't have the time or the knowledge to properly care for your lawn, call Weedman. If you're not satisfied with who is currently caring for your lawn, maybe that someone isn't reliable or isn't doing a very good job, make the switch to Weedman. Weedman cares for your lawn so you don't have to. Weedman provides what your lawn needs to look great. Fertilization, weed control, aeration seeding, and a variety of other services. Weedman is a national network of locally owned franchises, so you'll receive the personal service that you deserve. Weedman answers your phone calls and emails promptly. Weedman does what it says it's going to do. You see, when you call Weedman, you're speaking to someone in an office in your area, not someone somewhere in like the Midwest, and you're not waiting for like 30 minutes to speak 
to that someone. You're not dealing with a huge faceless corporation that treats you like a number. Weedman uses superior products that really improve your soil. Weedman only treats what needs to be treated. Weedman's products are of the highest quality, and Weedman does not cut corners. Now, a beautiful spring lawn starts in the fall. And so Weedman is offering something really special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast, a fall tune-up at a great price, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. That's about $100 off the usual price for those services. That price is a steal. That price applies to lawns of up to 6,000 square feet. So here's what you do. Call 571 340 3400. When you call, make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. So you get the special deal. Again, an aeration and two fall fertilization services for just $209. Again, about $100 off the usual price for those services. That phone number again, 571-340-3400. And make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. So you get that special deal. I want you to benefit from this deal. Let Weedman take care of your lawn and save yourself some money. You can also Google Weedman and make a web request. Just make sure that you mention the Al Galdi podcast. Weedman, a great lawn at a great price with great personal service. Before we get to the football with the Washington football team on this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, I must first address something that broke on Wednesday evening in a saga that now has very much been reignited, the sexual harassment scandal. We thought that this thing was over, and now it's like refusing to go away. The John Gruden, Bruce Allen emails brought the scandal back to the forefront, and now we have this hush money. Yes, hush money. The Washington Post on Wednesday reported that lawyers representing the Washington football team this past February offered a financial settlement in exchange for the silence of former team employees who alleged that they were sexually harassed while working for the team. Uh, This allegation of hush money is according to two former team employees, Emily Applegate a former marketing coordinator, and Megan Imbert, a former producer in the team's broadcast department. Applegate told the Post that the offer was expected to be, quote, disrespectfully low, end quote. Now, I'm not sure what disrespectfully low means. I mean, if the offer was high, would that be considered respectfully high? And would this not be a story? Like, would she have considered taking the offer? But anyway, uh, the hush money offer per the Post was conveyed by attorneys representing the Washington football team at Reed Smith Law Firm through discussions with Lisa Banks, the lead attorney for the former female team employees. Uh, Banks, per the Post, told Applegate and the other former team employees that in exchange for the money, The former team employees would have to sign non-disclosure agreements and agree to stop doing interviews and posting on social media about the former team employees' experiences while working for the team. Again, hush money. Be quiet. Go shush yourself. Take this money and sit in the corner. Uh, So a few thoughts on all of this. What the Washington football team did, according to this Post report, was not illegal. All right, that needs to be made crystal clear here. What the Washington football team did here, per the Post, was not illegal. Now, scummy, yes, (laughs) okay, but illegal, no. 
Uh, this is clearly not a good look for the team, though, right? I mean, you don't normally pay hush money if you're innocent, okay? You don't try to hush someone if you have no reason to hush that someone. And it's pretty obvious by now, the Washington football team was not innocent in this sexual harassment scandal. Now, who exactly was guilty of what? We're still not entirely clear on. But stuff happened. That's as obvious as can be. And the Washington football team trying to pay money to these women to hush them flies in the face of what the team cannot tell you enough about itself right now. And that is that the team is, you know, woke and progressive and truly changing and all of that stuff. You know, so much for now empowering women and embracing diversity. You know, the team just tried to shut up these former team employees who said that they were sexually harassed during their time working for the team. Don't forget something that was in the press release that the team put out this past June 29th when the team announced Tanya Snyder as Washington co-CEO. This portion of that press release has stuck with me, and I read to you from the press release. Quote, Mrs. Snyder is one of the few female CEOs in NFL history furthering the Washington football team's commitment to being a standard bearer of diversity and inclusion in sports, end quote. Please, spare me, okay? I mean, you think about that in that press release on June 29th, and then do the compare and contrast with what the Washington Post reported on Wednesday evening, and you just have got to crack up at that, okay? Spare me the self-righteousness. Spare me the patting yourself on the back. I don't know about you. Personally, I am always skeptical of people and entities that tout themselves for being so much in a certain positive way. You know, like, oh, we're so open-minded. Oh, we're so progressive. Oh, we're so inclusive. Oh, we're so woke. You know, it seems to me, if you truly are those things, you don't have to go around telling people that you are those things. You just are those things. And you being those things is conveyed by who you are and by your actions. You know, obviously, people and entities should be open-minded and should be inclusive and, of course, should never discriminate, should never judge anyone off how they look or what they are. But it always seems to me that the ones who trumpet themselves the most for being this way are the ones you have to wonder about the most. Like, why do you have to keep telling me how progressive you are, how open-minded you are, how inclusive you are. Why do you have to keep making it a point to say that? And the Washington football team for months now has made it a point to keep saying that, including in that press release announcing Tanya Snyder as Washington co-CEO. Uh, and, you know, this idea of having to be skeptical of people and entities that tout themselves in this way, what we have right here with the Washington football team is a classic example of why. You have to be skeptical of an entity that constantly pats itself on the back for being this way. Now, key point here. The offer per Applegate and Imbert would not have prevented the women from speaking to investigators in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. The offer was not accepted. The women spoke to Beth Wilkinson, as best as we can tell. But the offer, had it been accepted, would not have prevented Applegate and Imbert from speaking to investigators in the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Said Imbert to the Post, quote, it just felt like they wanted to bury this and shut us up, end quote, with they, of course, being 
uh, people with the Washington football team. So the Washington football team presumably just wanted to stop these women from like doing interviews with outlets like the Post and to stop these women from posting stuff on Twitter and other social media platforms. And so to me, you know, I think about this from just the club perspective, all right? Put aside the morality. Just put yourself in the shoes of Dan Snyder. Put yourself in the shoes of Donny Boy, okay? I don't get why the team did this. Because to me, the risk of this offer was nowhere near worth the reward of the offer were it to have been accepted. The bad public relations of having made this offer, if the offer came out, and obviously the offer now has come out, was not worth the minimal gain of these women no longer doing interviews or no longer putting out social media posts. Like, these women aren't doing interviews that often, okay? And it's not like everyone is consuming these interviews. And the same thing with the social media posts. Like, yeah, there's been a lot out there on social media, but do you know how minimal the audience is for social media? Like, for all of the talk about Twitter, do you know how many people in this country aren't on Twitter, okay? Like, Twitter gets way more attention than it probably ever should, given how few people truly are on Twitter. So I don't understand what the big gain would have been from a club perspective here to have had these women stop doing interviews with outlets like The Post and stop putting stuff on Twitter and other social media sites. The scandal was going to go away. Heck, the scandal did go away until these John Gruden emails surfaced over the last week. Final thought on all of this. Jason Wright and Ron Rivera. Did they know about the hush money offer? Did they have anything to do with the hush money offer? I tend to think Ron Rivera did not know about the hush money offer uh, I really get the sense from Ron whenever this stuff comes up. Uh, you know, he wants nothing to do with this stuff. I mean, he doesn't like talking about it. You know, he distances himself from it. I don't blame him. He was not a part of any of this, obviously. You know, I think there is an argument to be made of, well, he is the head coach in the coach-centric approach. He has been tasked with trying to change the culture. So it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he did more in the way of addressing this stuff. But I do get Ron's perspective in that, A, I wasn't here for any of this stuff. And B, what am I going to say here? Like, what was he going to come out and trash Dan Snyder? Like, he's not going to want to do that. So you just kind of leave the stuff alone. But I would tend to think, like, was Ron involved in these uh, hush money discussions? No, I, I don't think so. I do wonder if maybe Ron knew about the hush money. But even that, to me, is plausibly... Uh, deniable from Ron's standpoint. Like, I, I think it's quite possible he did not know about this. What about, though, Jason Wright, right? Jason Wright is the team president. He is in charge of the team from a business standpoint. Uh, Jason Wright obviously has been someone out there doing a lot of interviews, talking about, you know, the team being in this new way, etc. I do wonder, did Jason Wright know about the hush money? Now, maybe he didn't. I don't think it's a given that he did. This may well have been something that Danny Boy and his lawyers concocted and executed and the likes of Ron Rivera and Jason Wright had no idea about. Uh, I am more than willing to believe that. I, I don't think it's a given at all that uh, certainly Ron and even Jason Wright knew about this. Uh, but I do wonder about that. I mean, these are two big machers in the Washington football team now, Ron Rivera and Jason Wright. These are two guys who obviously know a lot, probably a lot more than they ever let on. And I just wonder about that. Uh, what did they know if they knew anything about this? But yeah, 
the beat goes on with a sexual harassment scandal that we thought was essentially over and now is back right out in front of us on seemingly a daily basis right now. All right, so the 2-3 and three Washington football team on Wednesday began the team's practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the 2-3 and three Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field at 1. Next segment, I'm going to talk Taylor Heideke and Washington's offense. After that, I'll discuss Washington's defense. But two things regarding this game against the Chiefs that came up during Ron Rivera's post-practice press conference on Wednesday were the attendance at FedEx Field so far this season and Ron's history with Chiefs head coach Andy Reid. So with the attendance, Washington is dead last in the NFL in both average attendance at home games this season and percent capacity attendance at home games this season. Washington is averaging 51,002 fans at games at FedEx Field this season. Don't forget the two. 51,002 fans at games at FedEx Field this season. Good for just 62.2% capacity. Now, to me, the whole attendance conversation is played out. Uh, There's nothing new to say that hasn't been said for years. The team has been mostly bad for nearly three decades now. The owner is maybe the single most disliked person in major professional sports. The stadium is in a bad location. Everyone knows that the team doesn't like its stadium and wants a new one. And so this is where we're at. It's where we've been at for years. It's where we're going to be at for years because the two things that can change the attendance situation, if they happen, are going to take time. A, the team becoming consistently good, and B, a new stadium. This was Ron on Wednesday on whether he's surprised by Washington being dead last in the NFL in average home attendance, given that Washington did win the NFC East last season, albeit at 7-9. and nine. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'd love to get the fans back. I really would. But again, we also got to make sure we're, we're playing well and we're putting a good product on the field. We got to we got to hold up our bargain to get them to come back. I get that. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, this is a uh, this is a very dynamic area and you've got to be able to capture their attention, the fans attention. So, like I said, probably me, the biggest thing is we got to we got to win. And, and that's you know, that's on me. That's on us uh, to get them back and get them behind us. And that right there is exactly the answer that Ron needed to give. You never, ever blame the fans for not attending games. You put the onus on yourself and or your team. And in this case, the onus truly is on the team. Uh, I don't blame Washington fans one bit for not attending games at FedEx Field. The FedEx Field experience has been too bad for too long. We all know it. Uh, Those of you who do go to games at FedEx Field, more power to you and all respect to you. But I do not chastise Washington fans for not going to games at FedEx Field. You know, given how glorious it is to watch the NFL at home on your big screen TV, it's a borderline miracle that Washington is still averaging 51,002 fans at games at FedEx Field this season. But what you should never, ever do if you are a player, if you are a coach, if you are in the front office, is berate the fans. And as you may remember, we have had that here from Washington players. Uh, Most recently in the 2018 season, September 2018, Chris Thompson called out Washington fans for booing the team 
during a 21-9 loss to the Indianapolis Colts at FedEx Field in Week 2. That game, by the way, officially ended Washington's famous home sellout streak, which had been phony for years. Then in November 2018, we had that bizarro win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you remember this game? Washington improved to 6-3 with a 16-3 win at the Bucs, one of the more whacked-out wins in recent Washington history. Washington won the game despite allowing the Bucs to generate 501 total net yards of offense. Yeah, Washington held the Bucs to three points despite the Bucs amassing 501 total net yards of offense. Uh, Washington in that game allowed the Bucs quarterback, who was Ryan Fitzpatrick, to go 29 of 41 for 406 yards and to have eight carries for 35 yards. Uh, Washington in that game allowed Bucks running back Peyton Barber, who came into the game averaging a mere 3.62 yards per carry on the season, to have 13 carries for 61 yards, 4.69 yards per carry. And yet Washington won because Washington won the turnover battle for nothing and held the Bucks to 0 for 5 in the red zone. Anyway, Josh Norman after the game made headlines by taking a shot at Washington fans, of whom there were many at Raymond James Stadium. Said Norman, quote, I feel like we play better on the road. It seems like the true fans, they really be with us on the road, and we feed off that. S, play all of the games on the road, if you ask me, end quote. Uh, old Jano predictably got slaughtered for saying what he said. Then came DJ Swearinger going on 106.7 The Fan the following day and saying the following, quote, I would rather play on the road too, most definitely. You don't have to worry about fans booing you. You ain't got to worry about seeing the other team's jersey everywhere. You know it's going to be the other team's jerseys because you're away home games. That's some of the worst things I've seen. I've played on four different teams, never seen it that bad with other teams' jerseys in the stands, the boos, whatever it may be. I've never been a part of nothing like that, end quote. Just outstanding. Uh, Ron Rivera has been very consistent when asked about the fans and attendance at games at FedEx Field. He puts the burden on himself and the team, and that's exactly the way to handle those issues, unlike the way those issues were handled in 2018 by Chris Thompson, Josh Norman, and DJ Swearinger. Also, Andy Reid. So Washington versus Kansas City is Ron Rivera versus Andy Reid. Student versus teacher. Ron was the Philadelphia Eagles linebackers coach during Andy's first five seasons as Eagles head coach, 1999 through 2003. Ron on Wednesday on what Andy Reid has meant to Ron's career. Well, I think the biggest thing, most of anything else, he gave me my first opportunity as a positional coach. Um, and, and then he, he helped train me, put me on, on, on the road to where I am today. A lot of it is, you know, is, is basically understanding his way of doing things. Uh, it, it's, it's, in, it's embedded in the, um, in, in the West Coast way of doing things. And so because of that, uh, I, I learned a lot of the things that I do today. Are, I try to mimic him to a degree. And um, that, that's, that's why he means so much to, to a lot of us. Yeah, keep in mind that Ron Rivera and Andy Reid are a part of the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Uh, Andy was an assistant coach for the Green Bay Packers during the entirety of Mike Holmgren's time as Packers head coach, 1992 
through 1998. Holmgren was an assistant coach for the San Francisco 49ers from 1986 through 1991. So Holmgren worked under both Bill Walsh and George Seifert during their tenures as 49ers head coach. Right on Wednesday on something that he does as a head coach that he has taken from Andy Reid. Well, a big part of it is practice structure. You know, the way he wants practice um, operated, uh, the tempo at which he wants it played, you know. Uh, and the reason is, because you know, you don't condition players like you used to back in the day. So you try to get the conditioning during the reps. You know, it's always about tempo and practicing fast and, and, and going and doing everything quickly. That's what gets the heart rate going. That's what gets, you know, it's close to mimic to game speed, which is really hard. But still, just getting everybody to understand the way we, way we want to practice and the tempo at which we want to practice. Makes a lot of sense. Understand this, though, about Andy Reid. He is a certified Washington killer. In fact, to me, there has been no greater Washington killer as a head coach over the last 25 years than Andy Reid. Andy was the Eagles head coach from 1999 through 2012. He, as Eagles head coach, went 17-11 and 11 against Washington, including one of the worst losses in recent Washington history, the 59-28 Eagles win at Washington at FedEx Field on Monday Night Football in November 2010, what is known in these parts as the Monday Night Massacre, uh, also known as the Michael Vick game. Uh, Andy has been the Chiefs head coach since 2013. He, as Chiefs head coach, has gone 2-0 and against Washington, including another of one of the worst losses in recent Washington history, the 45-10 Chiefs win at Washington at a snowy FedEx field in December 2013 in the dying days of Mike Shanahan as Washington head coach. And what I will always remember that game for is for what I call the special teams half from hell. The first half of that game is the single worst half of special teams play I have ever seen from any team. The 2013 season was a lone season for Keith Burns as Washington special teams coordinator. Washington special teams that season were atrocious, and the low point was the first half of that 35-point loss in the snow to the Chiefs at FedEx Field in December. Also, there's this. Don't forget this. Andy has fleeced Washington on two trades of veteran quarterbacks, the Donovan McNabb trade in April 2010 and the Alex Smith trade in March 2018. Seriously, has any NFL head coach been Washington's daddy over the last 25 years more than Andy Reid? Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes, Arnold, exactly. If only we as Washington fans could take legal action against Andy Reid for all of the harm that he has inflicted on us. Well, not sure that we can do that, but I do want to tell you about a law firm that is ready to represent you if you've been wronged. Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace handles complex personal injury, medical negligence, and wrongful death cases. The services of Paulson and Nace are available in D.C., Maryland, and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is a family law firm. The Naces are DMV through and through. Big Washington football team fans. Paulson and Nace has decades of experience trying cases to jury verdicts and fighting for those injured through no fault of their own. Barry Nace and Chris Nace are both past presidents. 
of the D.C. Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the D.C. Trial Lawyers and has just tried two cases in D.C. Look, I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. These are good people, smart people who are excellent at what they do. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel as if you've been wronged, if you have a complex personal injury, medical negligence, or wrongful death case, or you think that you may have one but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Make sure that you let Paulson and Ace know that you heard about Paulson and Ace on the Al Galdi podcast and then tell Paulson and Ace what you got going on. Schedule your no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. Paulson and Ace, when tragedy happens, let their family take care of yours. All right, let's get to talking Washington football team offense for this game against the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at 1. Wednesday's injury report featured five Washington offensive players who did not practice. Curtis Samuel, Antonio Gibson, Samuel Cosme, Brandon Sheriff, and Cam Sims. Uh, Who knows what to think about Samuel? Uh, He, of course, is dealing with the never-ending groin injury, has played in each of the last two games, but he in the 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field last Sunday afternoon played on just five of Washington's offensive snaps. Gibson did not practice on Wednesday due to his shin, uh, which he last Friday revealed has a stress fracture, but he did play in the loss to the Saints, and I thought played well. Cosme in the loss to the Saints suffered an ankle injury. He did come back into the game, but then ultimately exited the game for good. He only played on 30% of Washington's offensive snaps in that game. Uh, Sheriff for the loss to the Saints was inactive due to a knee injury. Sims for the loss to the Saints was inactive due to a hamstring injury. The good news is that Deami Brown on Wednesday was a limited participant in practice. He, for the loss to the Saints, was inactive due to a knee injury. Of course, as Washington's offense is banged up, the team has two key members of the training staff on administrative leave. Oh, by the way, a principal among those people, Washington Director of Sports Medicine and Head Athletic Trainer Ryan Vermillion. He's on administrative leave for what the team has called an ongoing criminal investigation unrelated to the team. Uh, The DEA and the Loudoun County Sheriff's Department on October 1st conducted searches at Washington's practice facility and at Vermillion's residence. We on October 7th had multiple reports that the DEA investigation has to do with prescription drugs. And we this past Saturday, October 9th, had multiple reports that Washington has placed assistant athletic trainer Doug Kwan on administrative leave. Ron Rivera on Wednesday at his post-practice press conference addressed how the team's training staff is working with Ryan Vermillion and Doug Kwan on administrative leave. Yeah, there, there's nothing we, we, we I can tell you what's going on, you know, with 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 the situation, circumstances that's been different because um, quite honestly, we're in the dark as far as that's concerned. Um, but I, I, I thought I thought the staff handled it very well. Um, you know, Mark McCracken has pretty much um, stepped up as, as 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 the head down there for right now. He's done a very nice job keeping me informed and working with the players. 
Um, you know, Jeff Ruiz is handling all the uh, rehab stuff for us, and, and, and that's his background as, as one of our assistant trainers as well. Um, and then the doctors have been very good with our guys. You know, uh, we reached out and brought a couple of our interns back, um, and, and they're helping us, which has been tremendous having, uh, you know, having to, to, to deal with that and, and not letting it become a distraction for the players. Yeah, so a distraction isn't a concern to me. Uh, The concerns to me are injury treatment and prevention. To what extent is Washington at a competitive disadvantage with Ryan Vermillion on administrative leave? We just don't know. Uh, Washington itself may not know. And then there's Taylor Heineke. Uh, So he so far is holding up physically as Washington's starting quarterback, knock on wood. But Heineke is coming off his worst game as a Washington quarterback, although this was just his fifth start as a Washington quarterback. But Heineke in the loss to the Saints was not good. His total QBR per ESPN for the game was just 25.0. That's terrible. Uh, Heineke on Wednesday at his post-practice press conference on if there's a process that he goes through after a bad performance. No, you know, I'm still kind of pissed off about it, but... um... I, I just use that as fuel for the next week. Um, you know, I, I kind of came out to practice today, still a little pissed off about you know some of those plays I made, and um, I just use that as fuel to get better throughout the week. Um, some people, you know, use different methods, but I kind of I kind of hold it with me and use it as fuel. So uh, I, I've done that throughout my career. And hopefully, the fuel fuels him to a quality performance on Sunday against the Chiefs. Now, one of the biggest problems for Heineke in the loss to the Saints was him being late on throws. Heineke's biggest strength has been his processing speed. The speed seemed off, or at the very least, too many throws were just late. Uh, Heineke on Wednesday on if in reviewing the loss to the Saints, there was anything that he saw from himself that caused him to be late on throws. Yeah, it was like uh, there was one, you know, deep over route to Terry that I kind of threw. I didn't throw out enough, and I go back on film, and I'm in gun, and I take a seven-step drop, which you're not supposed to do. Uh, so I took a five and, and let it go. So you kind of look, go back on film on that certain play, you take a seven-step drop, um, and I'm feeling pressure from the right side. Well, that's on me because I took a seven-step drop. I shouldn't have been that deep. So, again, it's just little things like that. Clear, clear them up, help, help the guys up front a little bit, and, uh, and go from there. So I'll tell you what, I thought that that was a very honest, self-aware, humble answer that Heineke gave. We as Washington fans have become used to quarterbacks not taking accountability for being bad. Uh, Robert Griffin III was guilty of that. Uh, my guy, Kirk Cousins, was guilty of that. Heineke right there did not get defensive, did not shift blame, gave a smart, analytical answer uh, like that. Now, Heineke on Sunday will be facing a Chiefs defense that has been really bad so far this season. The Chiefs, through Week 5, dead last in the NFL in total defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Yes, dead last. Uh, Washington, for comparison's sake, is 28th in the NFL in total defense per DVOA. So we on Sunday afternoon will have two of the worst defenses in the NFL on display at FedEx Field, but we also will have maybe the best quarterback in the NFL on display in Patrick Mahomes. I think that he is the best. Uh, Mahomes through week five, number one in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 75.0. He leads the NFL with 16 touchdown passes. Heineke on Wednesday on the possibility of getting caught up in trying to outdo 
the great Patrick Mahomes. It's uh, like last year, I wasn't going against Tom Brady. I was going against the Bucks defense. So you can't look at it like you're going against Mahomes. Uh, you just got to keep keep to your game plan. Um, we're going against the Chiefs defense. And uh, so, so that's what all of us as an offense have to understand. It's, you know, we just have to keep playing our game and, and keep executing our game plan. Yes, you do. As Heineke essentially said, Sunday is more him versus the Chiefs defense than Sunday is Heineke versus Mahomes. But that is the quarterback matchup, right? Heineke versus Mahomes. And while it's ridiculous to count on Heineke outplaying Mahomes, it's not ridiculous to think that Heineke will play well. Heineke on Sunday is going to have chances to make big plays. The Chiefs through week five are 31st in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA and dead last in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. This is truly a bad defensive team and multiple key Chiefs defensive players did not practice on Wednesday, including edge rusher Chris Jones due to a wrist. But of course, Washington has been a bad defensive team, although more so against the pass than against the run. Washington through week five, just 29th in the NFL in pass defense per DVOA, but believe it or not, ninth in the NFL in run defense per DVOA. Washington's run defense actually has been good. The pass defense has been brutal. And so Sunday's game has all the makings of a shootout. The over-under for this game per Caesars Sportsbook was at 55 and a half, highest for any NFL game in week six. Does the game play out in a shootout way? Who knows? I mean, what's the final score be 16-13? But nobody will be shocked if each team scores at least in the 30s. And so if Washington's pass defense, again, gives up a whole lot, is that gonna impact Heineke? Is that gonna make Heineke press? Is that gonna compel Heineke to attempt risky passes that he shouldn't throw? Heineke on Wednesday on not getting sucked into making bad throws in an effort to keep pace with the Chiefs offense. Well, we saw that uh, week three uh, against Buffalo, and we saw how that ended up. You know, I tried to make a couple plays here and there, and that ended up in some interceptions, and the game really got out of hand. So, um, again, it's it's more that complimentary football. Hey, we might not get a first down here. Let's let's try and you know get maybe get ten yards on third and fifteen, flip the field, and, and give our defense a chance to stop and get the ball back. So, it's it's really just more the same from like that Buffalo week, the scenario that you're talking about. Um, so again, yeah, it's just playing our game um, and trying to move those chains and, and not try and be too much. Yes, I believe the phrase is game manager. Uh, it was the day after that loss at the Buffalo Bills in week three that Ron Rivera said that he wanted Taylor Heineke to, quote, do things in more of a game manager way, end quote. Heineke got away from that way in the loss to the Saints. And part of that is due to Heineke at his core being a playmaker. Well, there's no greater playmaker in the NFL than Patrick Mahomes. He is spectacular, right? There seemingly is no arm angle from which he cannot complete a pass. Uh, There seemingly is no throw that's too deep. There seemingly is no broken play that's too broken. Heineke on Wednesday on if there's anything that he can learn in watching Mahomes. I don't know if you can pick up anything from Holmes. He's one of those, I'm not even going to say a wild card. He's just a, he's an unbelievable athlete slash quarterback. And uh, so like, again, I kind of go back to when I was training kids when I wasn't playing and they're trying to do Mahomes type stuff. I'm like, listen, you're not Mahomes. Um, that's something that he can do. We can't. So um, 
you know, I, I do like watching him play. It's it's really fun to watch. Um, but again, I, I don't try and pick up any type of stuff from his game because that'll probably get me in trouble. Yeah, you can tell that uh, Heineke has been sent to the principal's office with some of his risky throws. He has been sent to the principal's office for needing to stay healthy. His collegiate head coach, former Old Dominion head coach Bobby Wilder, made that clear in his appearance on the podcast last week. That appearance was on episode 160. And so we, on Sunday, will get our latest data point in evaluating Taylor Heineke. Washington through week five is 16th in the NFL in passing offense per DVOA. So Washington has had a middle-of-the-pack passing attack so far this season. That sounds about right. That matches the eye test. But obviously, the goal is to be better than middle-of-the-pack. Heineke on Wednesday on if there are things that he's seeing that lead him to believe that Washington's offense is making the strides that it needs to make. There's just a handful of plays here or there that... uh... You know, if we eliminate, we play almost a perfect game. I feel like, that. you know, the defense had some uh, turnovers there in the first quarter that we just didn't capitalize on. And then, again, a couple of those picks I threw. Um, you know, again, if you take away two or three plays on offense, two or three plays on defense, we feel like we've made some strides throughout the week. So, again, it's just every day coming out there, trying to get better, build on it. And, uh, and again, I feel like we still haven't played our, our best football yet. So, we'll see. Yes, we will. So you heard right there from Heineke the same sentiment that Ron Rivera expressed so vehemently on Monday during his day after the game Zoom press conference, this idea of if not for two plays, things would have been so different in the loss to the Saints. Ron was talking about Washington's defense, was talking about those first two Jameis Winston touchdown passes, and Ron discredit did say that you can't just take away those two plays, but he kept essentially saying, if you take away those two plays, dot, dot, dot. Look, that's the NFL, a play here, a play there. Every team can cherry pick two plays per game that if you take them away, the game goes far more in that team's favor. That's the NFL. That's the league. Games are close. And so hearing Heineke say what he said there, it's like, yeah, you're not wrong with what you're saying, but pretty much every quarterback can say that. Pretty much every team can say that. Games are close in the NFL. I said, games are close. It means you're close. Yes, as our favorite emailer, Bruce Allen, once said, it means you're close. Well, how, oh, how is Washington's defense going to do on Sunday against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense? Uh, I shiver at just the thought of that question. I'll get to that question and much more on Washington's defense after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Let us talk Washington football team defense regarding Sunday afternoon's game against the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. So the defense is pretty healthy. Uh, At the least, we can say that about this Washington defense. Uh, Just one Washington defensive player did not practice on Wednesday, and that player was linebacker Jared Norris, who has only been playing on special teams. Three Washington defensive players were limited in practice on Wednesday. Jonathan Allen due to a knee, Cole Holcomb due to a shoulder, James Smith-Williams due to a toe. Also, Derek Forrest practiced on Wednesday as his practice window has begun. Washington placed Eric Forrest on the reserve injured list on September 1st due to a hamstring injury. He remains on the reserve injured list, but he could be coming off of it uh, sometime soon. He, at the very least, would add special teams depth. However, there was some bad injury news for Washington's defense on Wednesday. Washington placed Daryl Roberts on the reserve injured list due to a quadriceps injury. Now, Roberts had not played on any of Washington's defensive snaps this season, but he was Washington's number four corner with Torrey McTire already on the reserve injured list. Uh, McTire was placed on that on October 5th due to a torn ACL that he suffered in the win at the Atlanta Falcons in week four. And so Washington on Wednesday signed corner Corn Elder from the Carolina Panthers practice squad. Corn Elder was taken by the Panthers in the fifth round of the 2017 NFL Draft out of Miami. So he was drafted during Ron's tenure as Panthers head coach. Corn Elder becomes the latest member of the Carolina Mafia on Washington. But I want you to think about these two words. Troy Apke. Remember when Troy Apke, a.k.a. Trap, made Washington's initial 53-man roster, and you had some people defending that by saying that Apke would never have to actually play corner. Well, here we are now. Washington is down two corners, and it's quite possible that instead of being able to lean on Apke, the team instead is going to have to lean on this guy, Corn Elder. Now, in fairness to Apke, in fairness to Trap, uh, we can't be certain of this. Maybe Elder is going to be behind Apke on Washington's true depth chart. And if Washington needs a fourth corner on Sunday against the Chiefs, it'll be Apke and not Elder. Washington, of course, could also just, again, play three safeties a bunch and Landon Collins, Bobby McCain, and Cameron Curl. Although, how's that working out these days? But this is something to monitor, especially if William Jackson III, Kendall Fuller, or Benjamin St. Juice gets hurt. Is Apke so unplayable at corner that Corn Elder just signed off of the Panthers practice squad to Washington's active roster is instantly ahead of Apke. And if that's the case, why exactly are we spending a 53-man roster spot on Apke? Is his special team's value that great, that stupendous? Because to me, in today's pass-happy NFL, corner is ultra-important, and you don't waste a spot at corner on a special teams guy. I still don't get why Jimmy Moreland was released in the cut down to 53, but that's another conversation. Anyway, Ron Rivera on Wednesday at his post-practice press conference on Corn Elder. Uh, Corn's a very smart football player. You know, I was fortunate enough we had him in Carolina. 
Um, he knows and, and uh, knows a lot of things that we do. Plays a lot of those similar techniques. So his his transition into you know being a player for us should be easy. Um, you know we we lost Daryl Roberts for a little bit, um, and so he was a guy that we know and, and we know he's very capable, uh, very smart football player, very headsy. Um, he can play inside and out, and uh, and and that gives us a, a little flexibility with him as well. Ah, yes, flexibility. Uh, Ron did not say position flex, only said flexibility. Come on, Ron, give the people what they want. Position flex, say it. Position flex. Yes, Ron, just like that. Uh, I mentioned Benjamin St. Juice. So Benjamin St. Juice in the 33-22 loss to the New Orleans Saints at FedEx Field on Sunday afternoon returned from a one-game absence caused by a concussion that was suffered in the loss at the Buffalo Bills in Week 3. But St. Juice on Sunday only played on 21% of Washington's defensive snaps. Ron on Wednesday on where Benjamin St. Juice needs to improve. With him, it's not the X's and O's as much as it's learning the nuances of the position, you know, getting to understand how receivers play against you, you know, um, because, again, understanding that, you know, if I'm in a certain technique, I'm going to get this sort of response from from this type of wide receiver. So there are some nuances that they have to learn and, and develop. And with Benjamin, I think that's a little bit of an understanding. Um, and a great example is what happened to him in the San Diego, in the Chargers game when, when they threw a couple of those back shoulders to him. His understanding and learning to anticipate the back shoulder coming will help him as he, as he develops and grows as a football player. And that growth may well be tested on Sunday against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Chiefs through week five, number one in the NFL in total offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Yes, number one. Mahomes is number one in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR, and the Chiefs are number one in the NFL in both total offense and pass offense per DVOA. Not bad. What must Mahomes be thinking watching tape of this Washington secondary? We can only imagine. Now, Chiefs receiver Tyreek Hill did not practice on Wednesday due to a knee. Chiefs left guard Joe Tooney did not practice on Wednesday due to his fractured hand. But it goes without saying, though I'll say it anyway, that Washington secondary needs to have its act together for Sunday. Washington also will need the defensive line to be on point. Uh, the defensive line to me was pretty good in the loss to the Saints. I thought that Chase Young had his best game of the season. Uh, this was Ron on Wednesday on the defensive line's rush discipline which we know had been a problem. I thought the last couple of weeks has been has been a good sign. You're starting to see those things. Um, obviously, you know the numbers are are, are much better, and we got to continue to work that way. The the thing that I'd like to see is us to play with more discipline, um, and not just with the rushers, but 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 the linebackers as well, because that all works together as far as those things are concerned. But I, I was very pleased with what we've seen the last two weeks from those guys up front. Yeah, here's something that captures the conclusion that I know I arrived at after the loss to the Saints, and I know that many of you are on board with, and that is the secondary being the problem with the defense far more than the defensive line. Washington's defense through week five for pro football focus, number two in the NFL with a pass rush grade of 84.6, but just 31st out of 32 teams in the NFL with a coverage grade of 39.1. I mean, that right there quantifies the idea that the secondary is the thing. Not the only thing, but the biggest thing, the biggest problem with the defense. 
One more thing on the defensive line. Ron on Wednesday did get asked about the lack of playing time for Chase Young and Montez Sweat, relatively speaking. Chase Young on Sunday played on his fewest defensive snaps of the season in terms of the percentage. Chase Young played on just 79% of Washington's defensive snaps. His playing time percentages from weeks one through four were 86, 91, 89, and 80%. Montez Sweat on Sunday played on just 68% of Washington's defensive snaps. His playing time percentages from weeks one through four were 65, 88, 70, and 79%. James Smith-Williams on Sunday played on 39% of Washington's defensive snaps. Casey Tuhill on Sunday played on 14% of Washington's defensive snaps. A very interesting rotation at edge rusher for Washington in the loss to the Saints. Ron on Wednesday on if he's seeing progress from the likes of James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill. We are. We're seeing some growth on that and seeing some, some, some effect you know, in terms of, of, of making plays or being around plays. Um, and, and that's what you need to get from those young guys is you need them to, to, to affect plays some way, somehow, and hopefully make a few more. And, and that's what you need to get from those young guys, those reserves, when, when they're part of a rotation. Yeah, I get the idea of a rotation, but I really do wonder if we need to be seeing James Smith-Williams play on 39% of Washington's defensive snaps. Could we not see a little bit more of Chase Young and Montez Sweat? Why did Chase Young in that loss to the Saints play on a season-low 79% of Washington's defensive snaps? Why did Montez Sweat in the loss to the Saints only play on 68% of Washington's defensive snaps. I'm sure that Ron and Jack Del Rio have their reasons. Would love to know what those reasons are. One more thing on the Washington football team. Chris Blewett is gone. Yeah, Chris Blewett, the kicker whose last name is Blewett, is gone. Uh, Washington on Wednesday released Blewett from the practice squad to which he had been signed on October 5th. Second time this season that Washington signed a kicker to the practice squad only to soon release him. Washington on September 3rd signed Eddie Pinheiro to the practice squad, but then released him on September 11th. Two thoughts. Uh, One, Dustin Hopkins ain't going nowhere. And two, Chris Blewett. We hardly knew ye. You blew it! Exactly. Thank you, Adam Sandler. Well, it would have been hard to have scripted the Capitals opening night much better. The Caps on Wednesday night began their 2021-2022 regular season with a 5-1 win over the New York Rangers at Capital One Arena. This was a ripping. This was a smashing in front of 18,573 fans at Capital One Arena. Great way for the Caps to begin their season and leading the way was who else? The great eight, Alex Ovechkin. Caps in late July re-signed Ovi to that five-year, $47.5 million contract. He was a game-time decision on Wednesday night due to a lower body injury that was suffered in the Caps preseason-ending 5-3 win over the Philadelphia Flyers at Capital One Arena last Friday night. You had the feeling Ovi would play. And knowing what we know about Ovi, you had the feeling that he might do some things. And do some things he did. He played and he had two goals and two assists. A four-point night 
off being a game time decision. Uh, not bad. And the two goals were two third period special teams goals. Uh, Ovechkin had a power play goal, 237 into the third period on a rebound shot from deep in the left circle. And Ovechkin had a shorthanded goal, 1201 into the third period, as he, during a very brief Rangers power play that followed four-on-four play, beat Rangers defenseman Ke'Andre Miller to a loose puck near the low slot and scored on a backhanded shot. This goal was just Ovechkin's fifth career shorthanded goal and his first shorthanded goal since January 3rd, 2009. What was going on in your life in January 2009? That was the last time that Ovechkin had scored a shorthanded goal. And Ovechkin, with these two goals on Wednesday night, tied and surpassed Marcel Dion for number five on the NHL's career regular season goals list at 732. Remember last season, it felt like every five minutes Ovechkin was tying or surpassing someone on the all-time goals list. Well, it happened again on Wednesday night. And so next up for Ovi on that NHL career regular season goals list is Brett Hull. He has 741. Number one, of course, Wayne Gretzky at 894. Then there was the highlight of the night on Wednesday night. 19-year-old Hendrix Lapierre, who the Caps took with the number 22 pick in the 2020 NHL draft. He made the Caps season opening roster. He made his NHL regular season debut on Wednesday night, and he scored a goal, an even-strength goal, 1302 into the second period, and the goal was a thing of beauty as LaPierre scored on a two-on-one breakaway on which TJ Oshie delivered a terrific backhanded pass between his legs just above the high slot to LaPierre atop the left circle, and LaPierre then scored on a wrister from the left circle, and LaPierre then got mauled by his teammates behind the Rangers' net. You have Nicholas Backstrom out to begin the season due to ongoing rehabilitation on his hip. That opened up a roster spot for LaPierre, and he was able to score a goal on Wednesday night. And again, his NHL regular season debut and the reaction from both his teammates and the fans really was something. Uh, This was a great moment on Wednesday night. Head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on why the reaction to LaPierre's goal was what the reaction was. Well, I mean, it's his first game. I mean, he's a a young kid that... um, you know, maybe wasn't slotted right away, but you come into training camp and you work hard and you try and make a try and make a team. And um, you know, the door opened up with Nick. Um, you know, going on the IR for a little bit, and we needed we needed somebody to step up. His training camp was really good. Inside of that, you know, the whole training camp, you're you're watching him every day, and the players are with him. Some pretty good players on the ice are playing with him, and they think he's a pretty good player too and um, you know he got an opportunity tonight and it was really cool I think the whole thing was you know when a young player comes in like that and inside of a home opener and in your own building and your parents are in the building that's um, that's pretty special that's something that you you know you dream about you hope you get in your first NHL game and can score a goal like that and so that's pretty cool and I think that um, you know he was really excited oh certainly was really excited because he, he he yanked him up off the ice pretty quick and um, our our bench was really excited the fans were incredibly excited and they were awesome all night but um, it was just it was one of those moments that um, 
that's that's sports though and always just create certain moments whether it's a, a big win or a first goal or sports can do that and um you know that's something that he'll remember forever yes he will also on wednesday night good night for evgeny kuznetsov uh this clearly is going to be a big storyline this capital season what kind of a year does old kuzi provide is he back to his high-level ways. Well, for at least one game, he was. A three-assist night. Hard to complain about that from Evgeny Kuznetsov. But with all that went down, the Alex Ovechkin four-point night, the Hendricks LaPierre goal, Evgeny Kuznetsov three assists, I thought the most interesting thing on Wednesday night was who the Caps had as their starting goaltender. The Caps started Vitek Vanacek and not Ilya Samsonov at goaltender. And this, to me, tells you everything you need to know about where the Caps are with Ilya Samsonov. The Caps have Samsonov on the team, but the Caps are not thrilled with Samsonov and are far from fully invested in Samsonov as the Caps' number one goaltender. Vanacek and Samsonov, this is very much a two-headed goaltending monster, as was the case last season. And I still think the Caps look at this as Ilya Samsonov if everything is right and all things are equal, is the number one goaltender because he has a ceiling that is higher than Vanacek's. But as we've discussed, Ilya Samsonov has been very spotty on the ice, has been very spotty off the ice. And while Vitek Vanacek hasn't exactly killed it on the ice, he's been a far more reliable person. And I think Vanacek was rewarded on Wednesday night with that start. And he played well. Uh, Vanacek was good. He stopped 23 of the 24 shots on goal that he faced. Uh, Vanacek, for natural stat trick, stopped two of the three high danger shots on goal that he faced. Stopped all 11 of the medium danger shots on goal that he faced. And stopped all 10 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. So, you know, he wasn't tested a ton necessarily. But he got the job done. And again, the takeaway here is that on opening night, which is a pretty big deal in the NHL, Vanacek, not Samsonov, got the start at goaltender. I mean, the Caps in the offseason only gave Samsonov that one-year contract. The Capitals on August 9th announced the re-signing of Samsonov as a restricted free agent to just a one-year, $2 million contract. If you really believed in Ilya Samsonov as your franchise goaltender, you would have given him more than just that one-year contract. The Caps want to see more, and they should want to see more from this guy. Again, he's gifted. Number 22 pick in the 2015 NHL draft, but he was very mixed last season in terms of his play. And like I said, he's been unreliable off the ice. Go back to July 2020 when the Caps announced that Samsonov had suffered an injury prior to training camp for the restart to the season. Ended up not traveling with the Caps to that Eastern Conference hub city of Toronto. We then got the report from Russia in August 2020 saying that Samsonov had gotten hurt in an ATV accident in Russia. Uh, Samsonov last season missing a lot of time due to two absences caused by COVID-19 protocols. Not that getting COVID-19 makes you a bad person, but remember, uh, Ilya Samsonov was part of the Russian foursome, along with Alex Ovechkin, Evgeny Kuznetsov, and Dmitry Orlov, who violated the NHL's COVID-19 protocols to where the NHL this past January 20th fined the Caps $100,000 for player violations of the league's COVID-19 protocols. Uh, Samsonov got suspended for a game. He and Kuznetsov were suspended for a game last season due to being late to a team function. There just has been a lot of stuff with Ilya Samsonov. And you really got the sense as last season went on that the Caps were fed up with all of that stuff. So I thought a very telling development on Wednesday night, Vanacek and not Samsonov 
as a cap starting goaltender. Also, uh, this game was filled with penalties. Uh, remember, we had what happened with Tom Wilson this past May. 6-3 Caps win at the Rangers on May 3rd. Tom Wilson went nuts in a second period scuffle that included him cross-checking Pavel Buchnevich and slamming and then grounding and pounding the breadman Artemi Panarin, who ended up suffering a season-ending injury. Wilson, incredibly, not suspended for all of this, as the NHL Department of Player Safety the following day announced that Wilson had been fined $5,000, which is the maximum amount allowed by the collective bargaining agreement. Well, we on Wednesday night had a total of 17 minor penalties in this game. Uh, the Rangers committed nine minors. The Caps committed eight minors. Caps went three for six on the power play, four for five on the penalty kill. Next up for the Caps, home to the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning, Saturday night at seven. I will have for you my normal Football Friday Goldilocks segment on Friday's show, episode 167, but we have a game on Thursday night, and so I have for you a Goldilocks pick in this segment, Navy at Memphis, Thursday night at 7.30. The midshipmen per Caesar Sportsbook are plus 10 and a half as of a very early Thursday morning, so Navy fell to 1 and 4 with a 31-24 loss to then number 24 SMU at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium in Annapolis last Saturday. Tough loss for the midshipmen. They blew a 21-7 second quarter lead. Navy's offense just was not good enough. Navy scored just three points in the second half, total just 12 first downs the entire game. Uh, Navy's triple option attack totaled just 177 net yards rushing and a touchdown on 53 carries, 3.34 yards per carry, although that included three sacks in Navy quarterback Ty Lovatai. Uh, he went 4-7 passing for 64 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions, but he took the three sacks, finished with 24 carries for just 53 yards, 2.21 yards per carry. Midshipman's defense was mixed. Uh, on the one hand, the mids allowed SMU quarterback Tanner Mordecai to go 30 of 40 for 324 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception, and registered just one sack. On the other hand, mids did hold SMU to just 5.86 yards per play and just two of 11 on third downs. And Navy linebacker Diego Fago had a second quarter 20-yard fumble return for a touchdown on a third and 12 sack strip by Navy nose guard Clay Cromwell. But Navy was guilty of yet another special teams gaffe, allowed SMU safety Brian Massey to have a second quarter 95-yard kickoff return for a touchdown as he flew down the right sideline. This was on the kickoff that came off the Fago fumble return for a touchdown. Uh, that kickoff return for a touchdown that Navy gave up was a killer, a total buzzkill off the Fago fumble return for a touchdown. Navy's special teams have been abysmal so far this year. You look at Memphis, uh, Memphis is 3-3, three and three, three consecutive losses, 31-28 home loss to UTSA on September 25th. 34-31 loss at Temple on October 2nd. 35-29 loss at Tulsa on October 9th. Navy and Memphis are two bad defensive teams. Navy is 72nd in the FBS in defensive efficiency for ESPN. Memphis is 105th in the FBS in defensive efficiency per ESPN. The money on the game is pretty even. Each team is operating in a short week. I'd like to think that Navy can have enough offensive success against this Memphis defense to keep the game close enough. I mean, neither team is a good team, okay? But I will take the midshipmen 
and welcome with open arms the ten and a half points. Make money, money, make money, money, money. Yes, thank you, Snoop. More from you on Friday's show. All right, that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 167, will be a football Friday extravaganza, in-depth preview of the 2-3 and three Washington football team versus the 2-3 and three Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field Sunday afternoon at 1, including the best of what Scott Turner and Jack Del Rio have to say during their post-practice press conferences on Thursday, my rhyming keys for a Washington win, and a special guest to talk Chiefs, Stephen Spector, the program director of 610 Sports Radio in Kansas City, a former colleague of mine, big Chiefs fan, knows the team well. Also, a post-game, Navy's game on Thursday night at Memphis, and give you the rest of my Goldilocks for College Football Week 7 picks against the spreads for Virginia Tech Pitt and Virginia Duke. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday. We're not going to be uh, suck this year. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.